Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guests are Jermaine Johnson and Ari Lubet. They're both managers and producers at Three Arts Entertainment. Jermaine and Ari, we're very excited to have you on the show. How's it going? Good. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, very thrilled to be here. I'm excited. We are also excited. We love talking writing, but we also really like talking all things creative and management and producing are really important parts of the entertainment industry, especially for writers getting your perspective. Before we get into all that, the first question is always, where are you in the world? I'm going to make an educated guess that you are somewhere in Los Angeles. Is that true? That is true. This is Ari. I live right near USC, just in the heart of LA. That's where I'm quarantining. This is Jermaine. I'm in the Valley. I'm in Lake Balboa and yeah, quarantining and trying to maintain my sanity amidst the fires and the winds. I assume before you guys were commuting to an office, you were, you know, stuck in that LA traffic. Now you're working from home. A lot of things have changed in the film and TV industry. So can you kind of recap from your own perspective what the past year or so has looked like and, you know, how things are doing? Oh, man. It's a loaded question. It's a loaded question, I think, mostly because everyone's quarantine experience is just a little bit different. You know, I'm married and, and have a, a 20-month-old baby, so my quarantine experience is a little bit different from everyone else's. You know, parenting and for the most of the pandemic so far, have had my wife and baby as coworkers and had them, you know, here and trying to balance the work life with that. And that's been its own very unusual, unique thing. And uh, trying to make the most of the time that we're all here. But obviously, bringing up your work boundaries is, is an interesting task. And that's been a huge part of it. And other than that, I think as it pertains to kind of Jermaine and myself, we're primarily literary managers. And so, you know, most of what has been, you know, able to be done in the film and TV industry so far during the pandemic has been development, which is, you know, put a big emphasis on, you know, writing and, uh, and selling projects for development in TV and film. Yeah. And it's been interesting to say the very least. I think this business in general has often been predicated on the idea of, you know, it's a lot of go, 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 right? I think a lot of people kind of, you're coming out of one meeting to go to the next meeting and you feel like there's never enough hours in the day. And now we're realizing that you can accomplish just as much kind of from your own little personalized bunker in your house. And that's been particularly interesting to see. And, you know, I think to Ari's point earlier about, about his coworkers, it's like, yeah, but the other side of that coin is that you're not, you're not working from home, you're living at work, right? So you're in this position where you got to find ways to make yourself turn it off at the end of the day and find ways to not necessarily make yourself start too early and like take time in the morning to gather yourself so that you're not, you're not burning yourself out 
just because you don't ever have to commute or put on real pants. So, Speaking of quarantine, for those writers who are listening, who also have been quarantining, what would you say to those writers who are out there, you know, trying to write, but maybe struggling to either find, you know, motivation during these times, and maybe struggling with writer's block? Any suggestions from your experiences with your own clients? It's a really good question. I mean, it has been a, a trying time, I think, to stay somewhat motivated and creative, you know, just naturally because, you know, it's a social industry and you're trying to think of ways to make the most of the confinement. On the other side of it, you know, writing is kind of done in quarantine anyway. It's natural in some ways to the writing experience. So I think, you know, there's a, a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, you can try to do to, you know, keep those juices flowing. I think, you know, taking what some of my colleagues call walks of sanity, you know, outside with a mask on, obviously, and just trying to get some fresh air. And I think making the most of how we can socialize, which is phone calls and Zooms, even though we're all a little Zoomed out, just to connect with people and try to keep, you know, a good spirit up creatively that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the walks is a big thing. I think I've encouraged a lot of people to take walks. But also, it actually kind of dovetails back to the first thing. It's like, I think this idea of like taking care of yourself, the self-care of it all, I think actually helps helps remedy some of those writer's block issues. Because I think oftentimes, you can find yourself, you know, sitting on a couch for what feels like an eternity trying to think of something new to write. And if you were just to take, you know, 30 minutes and maybe get on a bike or do a guided meditation or whatever it is just to take care of yourself. Sometimes that can help kind of alleviate the clouds that sometimes hang over people when they find themselves in like kind of a weird forced captivity and isolation. On the same note for those writers who are also writing, for those who are maybe TV or film writers, obviously the landscape has changed. I imagine there's been less production, but maybe an emphasis on development. Can you walk us through from your perspective, those writers who are thinking about, oh, how do I you know, try to get something into a manager's hands? Can you give them some advice on how to kind of break through during this time? Jay, you want to take this one? Yeah. I think really and truly, and I think it always comes down to finding a way to creatively break through, right? Like, And it sounds like a pretty standard answer, but I think times like these where there are particularly unique circumstances often offer up opportunities for people to be creative in new and exciting ways, right? Like, I think that's what's become clear to me where people will, you know, like TikTok is taken off in a way that, you know, don't think it would have been as massive as quickly if it wasn't for a pandemic, right? And I think there's elements there where you can say, if you're a writer and you're in quarantine, start finding ways creatively off the page to make yourself stand out. You know, what can you do? Can you take your iPhone and just, you know, shoot a five minute scene that you wrote in quarantine, making a creative use of just what you have in your apartment or your house or whatever. And I think those are the things that in these times may cut through because to really be clear, a lot of us are sitting around, like we're still working extremely hard to be quite honest, but we're also finding that we do have more time to read than we otherwise had because we aren't in the car for six hours a day driving in traffic. So that time can now be allocated to reading and discovering new people. So I think it is still just that old adage of like, you know, great voices can tend to break through and just finding ways to creatively make the most of your situation, whether it be just writing something clever and ridiculous and interesting or 
creating something that you otherwise wouldn't have created if times were quote unquote normal. For sure. And I would just say that, you know, even in the machinations of the job, you know, Jermaine and I are out there trying to sell, you know, television shows and set up feature films and things like that. And a lot of us have gotten creative and, you know, we're only able to pitch on Zoom, you know, so there's the venue that we have, which, you know, can have technical difficulties and glitches and unstable internet connections and all sorts of craziness. And, you know, given those challenges, you try to do something, you know, innovative. And so a lot of us have, you know, taken to creating like a visual, you know, component to a pitch on a Zoom that, you know, has obviously been catalyzed by the pandemic and the need to pitch in the Zoom gallery, you know, have had uh, some success, you know, using a new medium, essentially, to pitch shows and create, you know, a visual asset or something like that to accompany a pitch. How important is IP to you these days? This is Jermaine. I'll chime in first here. When I'm particularly looking for somebody to sign, right, if I'm identifying if it's a writer that I, I really want to work with, it is less so, it is so much less so about IP and so much more so about a voice, right? Like to me, that person, that voice themselves is the true intellectual property at play. If they have something to say and they kind of have an idea of how they want to say it on the page, that is more exciting to me. And that is something that kind of allows me to wrap my brain around the fact that like, oh, they will be able to create more of these things, right? They'll start to really become somebody prolific because they really have a lot that they want to say and put out into the world. And it is my job to help them kind of galvanize all of that. So in terms of IP, in that sense, I don't necessarily look for it. If we're down the road of representation and we've been working together and there's an idea that you found in a book that you want to adapt, that's useful. But I'm more excited about the voice from the person itself than any IP that they might have the rights to. I totally agree. I think, you know, when you're looking to work with someone for the long-term trajectory of their career, you're looking for a point of view. Actually, just to throw him some love, Jermaine has found incredible people who had voices as like journalists. And he was able to identify a unique perspective, you know, on society or race or you know, just a different perspective out in the world through journalism and help transition that into screenwriting masterfully. So, and I think that goes above and beyond the need to, you know, have IP. IP can be very valuable all on its own. You know, books, articles, things like that can be the foundation for show underlining material. And it can certainly be crucial sometimes, but you know, when we're looking to identify, you know, who to work with, I think it's voice and perspective, first and foremost. Ari, you just mentioned the trajectory of a client's career. Before we dive into what you guys do a little bit deeper, I would love to hear about your career trajectory. Did you guys both want to be managers always or kind of how did it come about and tell us your origin stories? You first, Ari. I had a, you know, my path in a nutshell was I was a a film student, not by design. I fell into that at the University of Wisconsin. And then I came out to LA in 2007, just in time for the writer's strike. And I worked at Creative Arts Agency for a few years. And there I learned when I was an assistant to an amazing agent named Rowena Arguelles. I learned that what I loved about representation 
and then you know what it was that I was still longing for a bit and management really you know bridged that gap for me management to me is a specific lane of representation that allows you to be a little more granular I think a little more personal and you know with the producing component and developing you know a little bit more creative in a specific way I think agents can be plenty creative and extremely valuable no question it was just the variety of representation that suited me and I think my personality and added value the best and so I looked to becoming a manager you know after that I think experience and sort of synthesizing the representation and the creative components and so that was kind of you know how I wound up at three arts yeah and Ari's I will say admittedly Ari's journey is a little more clean. <laughs> Mine was uh, a little messier. I didn't wasn't even really familiar with like the inner workings of this business until maybe two or three years after I had been out in LA already. My intention when I got out of college was to be in marketing and advertising. I graduated in the middle of a recession, which was fun, where you know ad budgets get cut first. They weren't looking to bolster those ranks and hire people even at entry-level positions at those companies. So I moved out here that fall, well, I guess that fall, that winter, because my father lives out here. And I moved out here to just try to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, what my pivot was. And I just had a little bit of savings put away, and but the weather was beautiful. And I ended up working in retail for the first three months I was out here. And everybody that I worked with was, you know, had a toe in the business in some sense. They were all different sorts of performers and writers and directors and et cetera. And just trying to, they were all trying to figure out their path into the, the business. And uh, it just got me curious enough to go out to the Screen Actors Guild website and just cold email my resume to all of the agencies and said, hey, like I'll work for experience. I'll, you know, I'll do an internship. And there was a boutique agency that, you know, got my resume, offered me an internship. I learned, you know, what boutique representation looks like from them, interned there for three months. You know, right as that internship was coming to an end, I went right back to the Screen Actors Guild website with this internship on my resume and said, all right, I will work for that small amount of money that I hear that you're paying assistance these days. And there was a voiceover agency that took a shot on me and I worked there for almost two years and realized that, okay, I really like representation. I don't know if voiceover is where I want to stay for the rest of my career. And I started searching around for what kind of representation, what kind of company appealed to me. And the opportunity arose to work at Three Arts. And I threw my name in the hat and called in one favor, the one favor that I had to see if they could push for an interview. And I got an interview. I got an interview. I met with uh, Olivia Gerke, who was working for Michael Rotenberg at the time. And she and I kind of became fast friends. I constantly give her credit for inventing me. And she recommended that I meet with Michael. And I met with Michael. We had a brief interview, but it seemed to do the trick. And I worked for Rotenberg for about 15 or so months, almost two years. And then Ali Obst and the rest is the rest. But I worked for two great guys inside that company that have kind of taught me a lot of how I do business. And I've learned from some of the smartest people in town, Ari Lubet included. So that's my journey. Now you guys are here. So we can now talk process, your process. We always frame our episodes around different themes. In this case, I would love to talk, you know, literary management, maybe producing one-on-one as well. Is that cool with you guys? You ready to kind of dive a little bit more granular? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. First thing first, 
Can you walk us through those differences between what a manager does and what an agent does? There's a little bit what I was sort of alluding to before when I was talking about my transitioning from work in the agency to work in the management world. Obviously, one of the first things that folks tend to identify as a producing component and why and how you know that can happen and be encompassed in the in the representation of a of an artist the way that we i think philosophically kind of look at it a bit and this may be you know more of uh of our sort of point of view but we're there to i think the added value and fill in some spaces that i feel like are really critical to the process of an artist's career and sale their material you know i feel like the agencies are a big hub of infrastructure. You know, there's a lot of communication and intel that comes in and out of um, their well-oiled machines, often with coordinators and hierarchical system of how you know information is brought in and made use of to benefit an artist. And you know, while we have a pulse on that as well, you know, we're really myopically focused on the artist and really looking at all parts of the artists and what their career trajectory is going to be. It's a lot long-term strategy, often what jobs not to take, for example, are as important as the jobs to take. And, you know, if the agent by definition or so is primarily of the procuring of work for an artist, I believe we play a valuable role in advising on those things. Those are some elements of it. Jay, do you have stuff that you think you nailed it i think that's just really you know what it is i think there's the agents can cover so much ground which has always been impressive and useful and helpful in our day-to-day of just how much of the town that they can cover how much information they're able to kind of funnel throughout the rest of the team and then i do think there is a bit of a you know some people call it quarterbacking whatever you want to say it is on the manager's end to say all of these opportunities are great but let's narrow it down to the specific opportunity that is right for this client based on where this client wants to be in three years, five years, 10 years. You know, it's a pretty well-oiled machine, but that, you know, at the end of the day is kind of that small difference between like these big, massive places that can cover so much ground and then the kind of the more specific guided hand of the manager. And I'd also add volume, right, Jay? Like just in every capacity, we tend to have you know, fewer, you know, the agencies by and large are much bigger, not just by the personnel that they have internally and broken down by different departments. And, you know, ours is a smaller scale in that sense. Not, we have an enormous imprint, you know, on Hollywood in terms of the prolific nature of our artists, who we represent, their cultural relevance, the output and productivity, but it's kind of smaller but might, you know, by design. And then the agencies are very big by nature to encompass a wider breadth of representation in that way. Let's talk about your clients. How do you find your clients? I'll jump in. You know, I can actually speak for both of us on this. Ari and I read a lot, just like an overwhelming amount of reading that we do. But it's not always, I mean, the vast majority of it is for people that we already represent. But also there's a lot of reading we do I don't think I can call it leisure reading because it's all work at the end of the day. But I, you know, to Ari's point earlier about the fact that I represent a bunch of journalists, 
it was because I read their work on where they were working and just reached out and just cold emailed them and said, Hey, you have a voice, you have a point of view, you have something to say, and I would love to help you say it on a bigger platform. So that's often where I found, you know, the voices that I've done well with are people that weren't even in this business, but you could tell that they had a voice in a different medium. And I just sought them out. And then those writers, quite frankly, would recommend, you know, other journalist friends that they had to me. And that has been a, a very strong kind of cornerstone of my business. And that's how I found those people. A couple of authors as well, but it's always just like, oftentimes it's a voice that comes from an unlikely place. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I have personally very eclectic taste and similar to Jermaine, I'm trying to find where a unique voice exists and try to, you know, augment everything that they're doing and create, you know, a really interesting and robust career for them. And and a lot of times it's, you know, for myself, I'm trying to think outside the box, just like Jermaine, you know, be really creative. You know, I represent some musicians, I represent some comic book creators, some directors and things like that from the international landscape. And really just sort of trying to find, as Jermaine said, a point of view that is its own, you know, he called it like IP or the asset, you know, that is the, that's the brain trust, their perspective on the world around them, you know, their unique point of view, sometimes with directors that encompasses a visual aesthetic and something there, you know, so that's really what you're kind of, you're looking to sort of be the foundation to build up off of and try to find a way to think about staffing on a television show or you know creating a pitch that has their voice in the show and selling that or pairing that artist with another artist you know whether that's at our company or outside of our company to create something bigger we have a lot of writers on this podcast do you like what writers write do you like free stuff well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. You guys earlier mentioned some ideas for writers who are trying to get their work out there, who are maybe seeking management query letters. Is that still a valid form of people reaching out to try to get in touch with you? I would say query letters are much less relevant than they once were. And then 
you know, in this pandemic, I think we have all found ourselves emailing more in a weird way. Like I feel like our inboxes are even more inundated with just emails from colleagues that we need quick answers on because it's not like we're in the office anymore where we can just walk down the hall and talk to a colleague. So the query letters become even more difficult to even read or respond to now in such a kind of flooded inbox situation that we're often in. However, however, all that to say is, and this is just me specifically, is that I've made some very good relationships in my life based on cold emails. Some people are clients, some executives that I know. So it's a rarity, but I do my best to try once every six months or you know, once a quarter to really kind of, you know, respond to an email that came in that really caught my eye. That sounds like there could be something there. So it's, you know, the odds are there. They're just not in anybody's favor. So I wouldn't say it's completely obsolete, but I will say it's, there's better ways to get my attention in particular. Totally. And I think sometimes we'll identify something out there and go look after it, you know, whether that's a short film or as Jermaine said, a journalist's piece or or something of that nature, you know, we sort of know what we're looking for in some ways. And the auspices for a perspective that works more than is sort of, you know, randomly dropped, you know, in our lap. And that's just life in general. I'd say one thing that I've tended to respond to in terms of just completely cold outreach is film students. I'll get, you know, from podcasts like this, or, you know, from research on companies or, you know, sometimes you'll get a film student who just wants, you know, 15 minutes of your time, you know, your perspective. And so kids from Northwestern, kids from NYU, kids from all over will reach out. And I think Jermaine's the same. We always try to make room and time. So I've had a handful of those, you know, over the the quarantine that I've, you know, responded to because, you know, all they're asking for essentially is, is a point of view. And so I'm, you know, always happy to provide that to the next generation, you know, coming in. And I, to Ari's point, I will say that I, I try to, because I, I always chuckle when you say NYU, Ari, because I'm like, oh, those kids don't need all that much help. They'll be fine. <laughs> but, so if it's a school, particularly off the beaten path or not one of the typical schools, that is often where I'll say, you know what, this is somebody that otherwise would not have any sort of leg up into this business. So I'll take the 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is. You know, and it's a byproduct. Of, I think Ari and I both, it's a byproduct of where we come from. This business wasn't in our family. We just figured it out. So we try to pay that forward whenever we can. And I think, yeah, Jermaine and I both spoken at schools as well. Some of those schools to try to encourage folks who don't have the natural, you know, I'll call it the USC path. Yep. Maybe not a popular statement, but, you know, meaning the kids who are here already and have proximity, you know, through whatever privilege or just locational geographical ability to take internships and things like that you know locally coming from Wisconsin I did not really have that knowledge and academic knowledge from the school or collective knowledge rather from the school you know they were more academically focused you know so to Jermaine's point you know we it's personally important I think to both of us to try to help students and assistance and people who need the extra help in the access. When you're working with a client, let's say you've decided to work with someone and you're going through their career trajectory and you're thinking through ideas, 
Can you walk us through the ideation process? How often are you working from an idea that they have just come up with? How often is it an idea that maybe you think of and they say, oh, maybe you should try writing this? How often is it a script that the writer has had you know, their whole life? Walk us through how you come up with the ideas and deciding that you want to move forward with them. I think that's what D, all of the above, or it happens in all ways. You know, I think we, we try to think of ourselves as creative partners, you know, to our, to our clients and really supporting them in their vision. And so sometimes, you know, we will find an article, a book, or have an original kind of a seed or, or germ of an idea and offer it and, you know, kind of ideate on it. And other times it's, hey, I wrote this full script or I've had this idea and I'm a little nervous to share it. You know, love hearing that leads to some some good stuff. So it can happen, you know, both ways where it's you know, sort of two minds coming together. It can be a support for their idea that they have and you're trying to help add to it, practically speaking and creatively speaking. Yeah, and sometimes it just is a... And I think probably Jermaine and I can speak to, you know, examples of how those, you know, projects have come together in those different permutations. Yeah. The longer you're in a, you know, and it's funny, we always joke that this is just like being in like a relationship, but the longer you're in your relationship with your client, you know, the more you'll realize that the ideas come from all over, the more you get to know them. So when you see an article that you think that they would be interested in, you can send it their way. Early on, you know, in the very nascent stages of representing somebody, they typically come with the script or two, you know, ready to go in whatever sense. And it becomes from there, the first conversation is, is this a script that is useful? Is this material useful for getting you a job or is this stuff that we're looking to try to go sell? And then as that relationship with your client starts to mature, oftentimes they'll say, hey, you know, or we'll go to them and say, hey, you know, we've been using X script. We either tried to sell it and it didn't sell, or we sold it and you're developing it, or we've been using it to get you jobs for the last, you know, X amount of years or months even, and say, you know, I think it's time for something new. And say, I think we might need a new idea. And then offer up, you know, hey, I'm happy to go kind of seek out things that might pique your interest, but also please come to me with, you know, if you've got two or three log lines, an idea that you've had in the back of your head for years that you just, you know, never had the time to commit to the page. Let's talk about it. And that oftentimes becomes the catalyst for building what that next thing is, however it may take shape. And it might be, it might be an old script that they say, hey, you know what, let me build a dust off this and see if we could rework it. Or it might be a completely brand new idea that we end up just kind of hammering out the broad strokes of it before they go off and write it or develop a pitch. How often would you say that you pitch something that already has a script? Is it more often than not that you're pitching an idea, a concept, or when you're developing a script with a client, what's the percentage of that being used as a writing sample to get a job in a writer's room versus actually taking that script and pitching it and getting it sold? So it's an inexact science, but the reality is sometimes you really want to be mindful of, I think I'll start here. The idea more than anything is not just to sell something, it's to get something made. And you're not really putting yourself in an advantageous position if you have a strong script from a writer with no credits, right? So if you're working with somebody that is still in the early stages of their career and you have this great script, now you have to really figure out 
if you're earnest about trying to sell, you have to figure out kind of what other elements that we can add to it. Or the reality is you can say, hey, let's use this to start to build your resume. And then when you have a little bit more of a resume, we can talk about going out and selling this thing. When it comes to writers that are a little further along, and I think this actually, correct me if this doesn't answer the other part of your question, but when it comes to writers that are a little further along in their career and they, you know, and then they have the opportunity to say, you know, I want to go sell something and they are at a place where they can sell, you know, essentially by themselves with, you know, a strong producer, then it actually is idea based whether or not we want to do a script or a pitch. I live kind of by the rule that the more specific the idea, the more likely it is you're going to need to write it and write the script so that the people can see the execution of it in a very clear way. If the idea is a little more, I wouldn't say broad, but accessible, it's a little bit of a bigger idea that's a little more accessible to, you know, if you can pitch it in two sentences, then that's something that we should just develop a strong pitch for instead of having you write a script. So that's kind of my calculus when it comes to taking something out, whether it's going to be a script versus a pitch. And sometimes there's, you know, variables to add to that. I mean, I agree with everything Jermaine just laid out and it's kind of how we operate, you know. It depends on sometimes, honestly, factors of clients' financial situation, their bandwidth. You know, are they going directly from one room to another room and they want to try to do a pitch, you know, in between, try to sell something, set up something for success, as Jermaine said earlier, on the right path to being made. In between, quite frankly, you know, a pitch is going to be better, you know, for the time and the bandwidth that they have versus, you know, Hey, I'm doing okay financially and I actually really want to have as much proprietary creative materials to issue the market. You know, as Jermaine said, he called it specificity, creative specificity. So I'm going to actually take the time. I'm going to take a couple months off and write this. And I feel like I can do that and, and have the finances to do that. And then I'm going to, I'm going to come and we're going to do that and, and make that attempt to sell. So, you know, there's some factors that are just objective and external that you have to factor into that overarching philosophy that Jermaine laid out. Walk us through the process by which you help or work with a writer to develop. Let's say you are working on a script. Walk us through what your notes look like. How many rounds do you go through? I know it's not an exact science. Can you give us an example of just kind of work you do with writers when they're trying to get a script from maybe an idea or an early draft to its final place? Pretty intensive. I mean, yeah, to your point, there's not like a Rhymer, you know, there's not a, an exact science to how many rounds of notes, right? Like it's honestly, and it sounds cliche, but it's as many rounds as it takes. But typically on my end, I really like to hone in early on what, what the writer wants to say with the show, right? Because I think that's the trick. I think everything is an opportunity to hide the vitamin in the candy, whether it's a big, funny comedy or a meaty, compelling drama. The idea is, what are you trying to say with this piece? And how are, how are each scene, each moment, how are they pushing that agenda, right, of what you want to say? So we start there. And I start having those kind of high-level conversations with the client. And we kind of dig in to what they want to say, how are they using these characters, this story, this world to say it, and how we can refine that. How we can really say, okay, how are we wasting motion? You know, how do we avoid wasting motion is what I mean to say, is that you know, the economy of words, and you're making sure that you're getting your point across on each page in a strong way. And then after we do, you know, however many rounds of notes that that takes, that's when I get granular. And then we can get down into 
certain moments, certain scenes, you know, things that could really be stronger if we really just punched it a little harder. Maybe there's one character that just doesn't seem to have a conclusion towards the end the way the other characters do. But that's when I really started to drill into that and kind of like the later rounds of notes. And then after that, quite frankly, I've gotten in the habit of having my assistant read it. <laughs> that, that becomes like the, the kind of final because you get through that process, you get so close to it that sometimes you can miss things because you've lived in the world with the writer for so long and they'll miss things and that's why they have you, but you also need to step outside of yourself and your ego and hand it to somebody that whose taste you trust. And unfortunately, I really trust my assistant's taste and I'll hand it over to her and let her take a read and give me some feedback. The unsung heroes of Hollywood. 1,000%. Both <laughs> Jermaine and I were assistants too, so you know we know what it was like and, and you know a lot of really good, you know, the next generation is just really creative. They're fulfilling administrative support and sort of going through their process of learning. So, you know, it's, it's absolutely always a, a valuable read, I think, you know, at times. And to get fresh eyes and good ideas come from everywhere, all that. Just to build off what Jermaine was saying, you know, I'm sure, Jermaine, you've had times where it's been less intensive, right? Where just you, you read the script and you're like, damn, I had a, a script like that recently where I took a read of it and it just was in such great shape that we really just needed to kind of polish it up a little bit and you know as Jermaine said slip the vitamin in and into the candy and and evaluate it and I think another thing is you know Jermaine tell me if you feel differently I'm always trying to kind of think about the other side too almost like a good lawyer or a good debate you know captain might think of the other side meaning the executives in TV or film they are you know, very polite and always try to make you feel special in the Zoom and try to make you, you know, feel very welcome and artist friendly. But the truth of the matter is they hear an awful lot of pitches. You know, they are experiencing a lot of Zooms, a lot of, you know, in the non-pandemic time, you know, a lot of in-person meetings and pitches. And a lot of their time and energy is listening. And, and in some ways, people would say, you know, sports analogy, like playing defense, you know, and we're playing offense, trying to get them to say yes and get this to sell. And so I'm thinking about the other side a lot, what their perspective is, what they might be thinking, you know, they at fill in the blank network have too much of one type of show or another, or, you know, possibly no offense to the community, but, you know, a reductive way of thinking because it's a little bit easier to dismiss than sometimes engage, you know, and, we want to beat those odds. A lot of things you go out with, you don't always succeed. And you want to make sure that you're in the best possible position to achieve that road to production, as Jermaine said, which starts with the sale. And so, you know, I am often playing devil's advocate and thinking about, you know, little solves and things that will sort of bulletproof the, the pitch and the concept, whatever. We've been talking a lot about the management side. Where would you say that management well, I shouldn't say ends, but the producing side kind of begins and takes over. And, you know, what's the overlap between those two? It's so fluid. I mean, to your point about there is no spot where it ends, it's very much. And I think, you know, what Ari and I have kind of learned in our respective careers, and I think it's what we've honed, is that ultimately you always want to protect your client's creative vision. And that's what you do as a manager, but it's also what you do as a producer. But part of that protection, especially when you are producing something with that client, 
is allowing them and helping them understand that sometimes, you know, making certain moves and sometimes compromising on certain things does not ruin the integrity of the show, but it is the way that you are going to need to move the ball forward. And I think that is the tightrope that we walk as producers that also represent the people that we're producing with is helping them understand that we are, you know, I serve at the pleasure of the president, right? Like, you know, I am here to help you actualize your vision, but also I am the one person that's going to be honest with you if you're getting in your own way. And that, that really is kind of the, the alchemy of it all when done right with your clients. And you want to have that relationship where they expect you to be that kind of candid with them, but also immensely supportive and helpful and a shepherd for the things that they want to do and achieve on the screen. And to build off that, look, your interests are completely aligned. You know, you have to, I mean, conflicts can exist anywhere and do exist everywhere in not just Hollywood, everywhere. And you have to approach things as, you know, what is the best thing for the artists that I work with and the success of their projects? And you have to let that philosophy lead. We have a fiduciary obligation and a respect for the artists that we work with to uphold their vision, to fight tooth and nail for the things that they need. There are not often times where we're seeing things a different way. Obviously, there's a back channel discourse to discuss, you know, anything like that. That's not unique. You know, that happens, you know, every which way at every different stage, whether you're on simply the representation side or representation mixed and synthesized with the producing. So it's just a way of saying that the producing encompasses the continuance of, you know, the faithful representation. And we have to lead that way. And that's crucial. That's the only way that we're both good producers and good at upholding the artist vision. And in addition to that, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. We go farther together and, you know, we, on a transactional basis, we make money together. On an artistic basis, we, you know, can make art together when we are collectively have the opportunity to produce. And so, you know, that's kind of how we, you know, see it and a way that we try to, to build together with artists. Love that. One more question. If you had to choose one piece of advice or learning from your career to pass along to the writers listening, what's the one thing you would say? It's a great question. One piece of advice. I mean, it sounds cliche. You can't fail if you never quit. So much of this business is a series of wins and losses, and it's a roller coaster. And I think oftentimes the people that burn out and leave are people that were maybe three months away from their big, you know, that first break. And I think if you just keep at it, if you really have something to say, just keep at it, keep working on your craft and believe that eventuality is on your side as long as you just keep up the work and you keep working hard. It always makes me think like Kevin Hart, I think always says the best. Everybody wants to be famous. Nobody wants to do the work. And I think that's, that's something that, that has always stuck with me. The idea of just like keep working at it, even on the hard days, even on the days where you don't want to and good things will happen. Yeah. You have to trust your gut. You know, that's a big deal. In addition to trusting your gut, just like the way that you would want to lead a good life by surrounding yourself with quality friends and family and, and sort of securing a fixture of, of important you know, interpersonal relationships that help you thrive. You want to think about that in terms of representation too. You know, well, how does you know, your representative 
talk about you specifically, creatively? How do they understand you? How do they talk about you when you're not on the phone with them to the rest of the development community? You want to think about that with your, you know, attorney and, you know, with your agent and your manager. And, you know, the reason I bring that up is because it's also equally important to listen and process advice paired with your sort of gut instinct creatively. And also another thing that maybe doesn't get as much attention, but reading, you know, reading is a critical foundation. You are taking in new information creatively as a writer, structurally, tonally, you know, when you read and you make that, whether it's, you know, nonfiction, fiction, screenwriting, playwrights, you know, it's good. It's vegetables. You know, it's, it's healthy to take in those perspectives. And I think they then sharpen your output, you know? So I think a bit of advice is, yeah, is to make sure your, your, your reading is really strong and keeps your perspectives sharp and new and fresh so that you can give that in your output. And yeah, curating a really careful and thoughtful representation will help enhance everything that you're doing while you're listening to your own instincts and your own gut creatively and in other ways. Love that. Thank you, Ari. Thank you, Jermaine. It's been a pleasure. We really appreciate your insights and your time. It was an honor. Thank you so much, Gord. You're a mensch and it was great to do it with my brother, Jermaine, who is just a phenomenal phenomenal manager who I learn a lot from all the time as well. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the writer experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating a review and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at writer experience and Twitter and Facebook at writer exp. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.